0: They have a deal, but do they have the votes? The lead starts right now. The negotiations are done, the bill is written. And now with just days until the United States runs out of money, President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy are rushing to sell the debt ceiling deal to their respective parties. Then, a rare daytime Russian missile attack on Ukraine's capital city just hours after a nighttime assault. School children forced to run to shelter and cars dodge missile debris on a busy city street. Is this the new Russian tactic? Plus, on this Memorial Day, an emotional reunion as a group of Vietnam veterans are reunited for the first time in decades. They recount the story of what bonds them, being prisoners of war held captive in bamboo tiger cages. Welcome to this special edition of The Lead. I'm Bianca Lodriga in for Jake Tapper. We start today with our money lead and the scramble in Washington, D.C. to avoid an economic catastrophe after President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy struck a deal on the national debt. Republican and Democratic leaders are waging an urgent campaign today to get as many members on board as possible. Both parties are facing revolts from within their ranks by lawmakers who think their side gave up too much in the negotiations. But as CNN's Jeremy Diamond reports, other members of Congress are falling in line, realizing it's either the deal on the table or a financial crisis.
1: Look, you know I never say I'm confident what the Congress going to do. I feel very good about
2: it. With just one week until the U.S. runs out of money, the White House and House Republican leaders are racing to lock down a bipartisan coalition of votes to get a debt ceiling deal to the president's
3: desk. It takes uh, the threat of catastrophic default off the table, protects our hard-earned and historic economic recovery, and the agreement also represents a compromise, which means no one got everything they want. But that's the responsibility
4: of governing Maybe it doesn't do everything for everyone, but this is a step in the right direction that no one thought we would be at today. The deal would suspend the
0: debt
2: limit into 2025 and cap spending for the next two years, while allowing defense and veteran spending to increase. Spending on other domestic programs will fall by about $1 billion next year, according to White House officials. And in 2025, spending will grow by just 1%. That $1 billion cut looks even steeper on paper, but it's mitigated by a deal to redirect $20 billion of new IRS funding and billions in unspent COVID relief dollars to backstop other domestic spending cuts. The deal also expands work requirements for food stamp recipients, requiring proof of employment for recipients as old as 54 years old, up from 49. But veterans, the homeless, and people who were in foster care are now exempt from those requirements. Already, signs of disapproval from hardliners on the right.
1: I'm not willing to to vote this country
5: into more debt. And the left. Do they still have to worry about the progressive caucus and whether or not your caucus will support. Yes, they do.
0: Yes, they have to worry. What's the message to
2: House Democrats who have reservations about this uh, compromise bill? Talk to me. Who got the better uh, deal, Democrats or Republicans? The bipartisan deal. The White House scrambling to make its case, offering briefings and making more than 60 one-on-one calls to House Democratic lawmakers so far. A key message? Focus on the programs Republicans were trying to cut and what's not in the bill. For members of the Progressive Caucus, Uh, who voted
6: for all of the signature legislation of this administration over the past couple of years that has led to the creation of 12.7 million jobs uh, and the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. Those are protected and funded in this agreement. And so if you voted for those items, uh, you should vote for this as well. And
2: as you could hear in my exchange with the president there, clearly he thinks that his appeals to Democrats are best made behind the scenes. But behind the scenes, I am told that the president is making calls to members of Congress. He's talked to congressional leadership as well as a range of different uh, Democratic lawmakers. Biana.
0: Yeah, the President's saying there, talk to me if you have any questions. Jeremy Diamond at the White House. Thank you. Why well, want to bring in CNN's Lauren Fox on Capitol Hill with more. So, Lauren, what hurdles are left to get this bill actually passed?
1: Well, both sides have to whip their members to get the votes that they need. The coalition for this bill and passing it out of the House of Representatives was always going to be in the center of both the Republican Conference and the Democratic Caucus. But still, there are some conservatives who are outraged about what they view as really legislation that falls short of what they wanted to see in terms of spending cuts, in terms of some of the work requirements. And one of those conservatives, Chip Roy, is arguing and warning that tomorrow in the House Rules Committee, he might use every tool at his disposal to try and slow this down. Now, If this does get to the House floor by Wednesday and members can pass it, then the question becomes, how quickly can the U.S. Senate move this bill forward? You know, any one Republican or Democratic senator can really slow that process down in the Senate, putting you in a position where you could be hitting right up against that June 5th deadline. So time is really key here. Time is of the essence. Both sides recognize that that is the case. And we should note that Republicans are feeling very good about their whip count, arguing that they are on a path on track to potentially deliver about 150 votes, more than a majority of their majority. So that just shows you that Democrats and Republicans working very hard really together to make sure they have the the vote they need to pass this bill out of the House. Biana?
0: Well, let's talk more with one of those Republicans, Lauren Fox, on Capitol Hill. Thank you. Joining me now to discuss is Republican Congresswoman Stephanie Bice of Oklahoma. She is on the House Budget and Appropriations Committee. Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us on this Memorial Day holiday. Never a dull moment. You are working there trying to convince others to support this bill. Why are you yourself supportive of it?
7: Look, I think that this bill contains some really uh, important structural reforms, and it's a $2.1 trillion savings, the largest uh, congressionally directed uh, debt, I'm sorry, say a reduction, spending reduction bill in history. And I think that is something to really be um, excited about.
0: So the narrative that Speaker McCarthy and you are promoting is that there's no real win here for Democrats other than the debt ceiling being raised. But if that is indeed the case, then why are dozens of conservative House Republicans threatening not to vote for it?
7: You know, they want more. Uh, The original limit save grow bill, which uh, Speaker McCarthy put together, was four and a half trillion dollars in savings savings. Uh, they indicated early on that that was really their their floor that they wanted it to go higher, um, but this is a negotiation. You know we are a divided government right now and we had to compromise. But some of the things that are in the bill I think are huge wins for Republicans. We have the uh, rescission, the largest rescission of COVID dollars, uh, coming back to the Treasury. We have the rescission of the IRS uh, 1.9 billion dollars for the 87,000 IRS agents, SNAP benefit reforms, uh, NEPA, which is the regulatory permitting reforms. These are all huge wins for Republicans. And really, at the end of the day, there are two choices. You either default and put us on a you know path to fiscal chaos, or you support spending cuts, significant ones. And for me, it was an easy choice.
0: Well, for some Republicans, that's not an easy choice. And some are leaning towards the former of what you just laid out there, those two options. As we heard from Lauren, Congress, uh, Congressman Chip Roy, is a no thus far, and he tweeted that he knows of multiple Republicans who are also a no because to use his terminology, this bill is a, quote, turd sandwich. What is your message to those Republicans? Have you spoken to him directly?
7: You know, I haven't spoken to Chip t- directly, but he certainly has a difference of opinion and he's entitled to that. Um, he has a vote just like I have a vote. And look, I think that spending cuts are important. You know, when Kevin McCarthy first started negotiating, he made uh, a couple of points. He didn't, he would not agree to a clean debt ceiling, he wouldn't agree to increasing taxes, and he wanted to reduce spending. And all three of those things are part of this uh, act that's being put forward. I don't know how a true conservative wouldn't support this, it meets all the criteria.
0: Are you confident at this point that you have the votes needed to pass this deal from not just Republicans, but Democrats as well?
7: You know, I think that we have a significant portion of the Republican conference that's going to support this. That number maybe remains to be seen. I've only seen a dozen or so uh, of the Republican conference that have uh, indicated publicly that they are no's on the bill. Uh, But I do think that we're going to see a large number of um, congressmen and women that are going to be supportive of the legislation as we look to the vote later this week.
0: As you know, to secure the speakership, Kevin McCarthy agreed to a rule that allows just one member to force a vote to kick him out of that role. Do you think your fellow Republicans who are critical of this deal might just do that? You know, that's something that Kevin McCarthy has said over and
7: over. He's not afraid of. Look, everybody underestimates Kevin McCarthy. When he went for the speakership, it was 15 rounds, he secured the deal. When he put together Limit, Save, Grow, no one thought we could get that across the finish line. He did it. When he put this package together, no one gave him, you know, any... um, No one thought he could get that across the finish line either. He's proven time and time again that he has the ability to get these things done. Why would you force someone out that's been successful, that's been able to give proven wins to the Republican conference in a divided government with a five-seat majority. It doesn't make any
0: sense. So in your view, would he be willing to lose his job in protection of this bill as it is?
7: I don't think he's going to lose his job. There are so many Republicans that have backed Kevin McCarthy from the very beginning, um, from that speaker's race to today. I don't think that's a concern. Our concern is doing the work of the American people. That is making sure that we're reducing spending, which we are, raising the debt ceiling to ensure we don't have a fiscal crisis on our hands, um, and moving the country forward. And this package does that very thing.
0: Republican Congresswoman Stephanie Bice of Oklahoma, thank you again for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, a normal workday turns into wartime terror as Russia targets Ukraine's capital city in the middle of the day. Then drama in the Lone Star State. The Republican-led House state has, Texas State House votes to impeach the state's Republican Attorney General. A look at the allegations and what happens next. In our world lead, the latest wave of Russian missile and drone attacks on Kyiv and other locations has Ukrainian officials promising retribution very soon. Ukraine says it shot down 11 Russian hypersonic missiles, but pieces still fell on busy streets. CNN's Sam Kiley joins us from eastern Ukraine. So, Sam, this morning's daylight missile attack is unusual, but perhaps a sign of what's to come from Russia can Ukraine's air defense systems, and as we know, many of them are newly provided by the West, can they sustain continued attacks at this rate?
4: I think, uh, Bjana that's exactly what the Russians are trying to find out in the first instance. They're trying to find out whether Ukraine's air defenses can be overwhelmed and how they can be overwhelmed. That's why they fire uh, the low-tech uh, Shahid Iranian drones uh, alongside these uh, very much more powerful cruise missiles. There were 30, 40 cruise missiles fired last night, 11 Iskander missiles fired uh, during the day, clearly targeting civilians, upping the ante, and all of it focused on Kyiv with the intent ultimately of being, trying to break the command and control structures uh, behind the uh, Ukrainian defense, Bionna.
0: In the meantime, Ukraine's top military commander, General Zaluzhny, announced over the weekend that it is, quote, time to get back what is ours. Is this viewed as a sign that the spring offensive is indeed underway?
4: I think the answer to that is yes and no. Uh, The the, uh, Ukrainians make no bones about the fact that something big is coming. That is part of their psychological pressure that they're trying to put on the Russians. They have been conducting... Uh, shaping operations you'll have noted in the past uh, very recently particularly in the last few days long-range attacks by Ukraine against uh, port cities held by uh, the Russians inside Ukrainian territory particularly uh, Mariupol and Bodiansk which are down on the coastline obviously uh, and also uh, a campaign to rattle the Russians in their backyard with a cross-border incursion by Russian nationals fighting on the side of the Ukrainian so These operations, in a sense, are already underway whilst they're simultaneously warning that something big is coming down the tracks towards uh, your average Russian soldier. And I think the statements from uh, the general over the weekend very much in that context.
0: That was released with a highly produced video as well of Ukrainian soldiers preparing for some sort of action. Uh, Sam, I have to ask you, in troubling uh, development, Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko claims that he's offering nuclear weapons to nations willing to join the union state of Russia and Belarus. You know, Belarus had not had any nuclear weapons on its soil since 1990. Obviously, a lot of that rhetoric has changed since Russia's invasion. How serious Does this seem to be?
4: Well, on the one level, it's ludicrous and the kind of weird joke that autocrats are given to make from time to time. But on the other, I think, Bjana, what he may be signaling, and he wouldn't have done this without a nudge and a wink or a prod, at least, from the Kremlin, from Vladimir Putin, is perhaps a threat from uh, Putin to try to expand the nuclear realm back into those territories still left under Russian influence to a greater or lesser extent from the collapse of the Soviet Union. Now, Belarus would be included in that. Belarus is uh, set to, or they've agreed to, allow tactical nuclear weapons in the hands and control of Russians, but they said that they'll allow them onto their territory as part of the Russian efforts to threaten Ukraine and the wider European community, Uh, of nations uh, in the face of their support for Ukraine. But I think this is sort of long term saber rattling, attention seeking. I don't suppose it's being particularly taken terribly seriously in the corridors of power or at NATO, as you rightly point out, not least because Belarus doesn't have any nuclear weapons with which to lure in new members to this uh, peculiar new club he's trying to form.
0: Yeah. Nonetheless, world leaders are condemning those those statements by him. Um, Sam Kiley in Ukraine, thanks as always for your very important reporting. Well, an impeachment vote, bribery accusations, phone calls threatening retaliation. Things are getting heated in Texas as Republicans go after one of their own. In our politics lead, an extraordinary impeachment vote exposing fractures in the Republican Party. On Saturday, Texas state lawmakers voted to impeach Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton on bribery and corruption charges. A majority of those votes came from Republicans who voted alongside Democrats. CNN's Ed Lavendera is in Texas where Paxton has been temporarily removed from office and state senators are now preparing for his trial.
6: The day after Texas lawmakers impeached Ken Paxton, he shared these photos on social media saying there's nothing better than a weekend spent with loved ones. There was no love from an overwhelmingly bipartisan collection of Texas House lawmakers who voted 121 to 23 to file 20 articles of impeachment against the Republican attorney general.
8: Either this is going to be the beginning of the end of his criminal reign or God help us with the harms that will come to all Texans if he is allowed to stay the top cop
6: on the take. Paxton called the impeachment vote a politically motivated sham and an ugly spectacle. He's a great man. He Former loves- President Donald Trump's support didn't help either. Trump called the impeachment vote unfair, led by the radical left, Democrats and rhinos, Republicans in name only. Paxton is accused of a litany of criminal acts, including bribery and obstruction of justice, and that he's unfit for public office. The evidence is substantial. It is alarming and unnerving. Paxton's impeachment moves to the state Senate. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick will preside over the trial. In an interview with CNN affiliate WFAA, Patrick would not say when the trial will take place. We will all be uh, responsible, as any juror would be, if that turns out to be. One of those jurors and senators is Angela Paxton, the attorney general's own wife. There are calls for her to recuse herself, but she has not
4: said what she will do. Every politician who supports this deceitful impeachment attempt will inflict lasting damage
6: on the credibility of the Texas House. As House representatives prepared to cast their impeachment votes, some lawmakers say Paxton was vowing retribution for anyone voting against him. SEVERAL MEMBERS OF THIS HOUSE, WHILE ON THE FLOOR OF THIS HOUSE, DOING THE STATE BUSINESS, RECEIVED TELEPHONE CALLS FROM GENERAL PAXTON PERSONALLY, THREATENING THEM WITH POLITICAL CONSEQUENCES IN THEIR NEXT ELECTION. PAXTON HAS BEEN UNDER INDICTMENT ON FELONY securities FRAUD CHARGES AND REMAINS UNDER FBI INVESTIGATION FOR A SCANDAL INVOLVING A CAMPAIGN DONOR. PAXTON HAS DENIED ALL WRONGDOING. THIS SHAMEFUL PROCESS,
4: was curated from the start as an act of political retribution.
6: And, bionic, uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott hasn't said much about uh, this impeachment and what has happened here in the last few days, and that's put him in the crosshairs of former President Donald Trump, who uh, put out on social media that he has been missing in action and not speaking up on Paxton's behalf. So the fissures in Texas Republican uh, politics right now are just breaking open wide open.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is interesting that we haven't heard from Governor Abbott, Abbott given that he's so outspoken uh, on many other issues. Uh, what's the makeup of the Texas Senate and what would it take for him to be officially removed?
6: Right. So there's 31 state senators uh, there. 12 of them are Democrats. So assuming that they all vote to, to remove Paxson from office, uh, they would need at least nine other Republicans to vote uh, for removing Paxton from office. But the wild card here remains the Paxton's wife, who uh, has a number of options. Either if she doesn't recuse herself, she could uh, be present or vote absent. And all of that could affect uh, how many Republican votes are needed to, to remove Paxton from office. So uh, that's what is going to, many, so, so many people are going to be watching very closely in the weeks, if not months ahead.
0: Quite the drama unfolding in our home state. Ed Lavendera, thank you. Well, CNN political commentators Van Jones and Essie Cup are with me now for more on this. Welcome, both of you. Happy Memorial Day. Essie, let's start with you. So more than half of Republicans in the Texas State House voted to impeach the attorney general. What is going on there within the Republican Party? Yeah. Should, should we worry about that and look at that as a party as a whole, or is this a, a one-off based on this one person?
8: Well, look, it's not every day you see Republicans holding Republicans accountable anywhere. And in Texas, that Republican state GOP is the largest, the richest, and the most powerful in the country. Democrats are no threat to Republicans in Texas. So they didn't have to do anything, even if they suspected General Paxton was guilty of some stuff, to survive and still be the dominant party in Texas. The fact that they took this on and had done so like secretly since March I think, said they were real worried about him. Now, I'm not involved in the you know, inner workings of Texas state politics, and there might have been some personal grievances going on here, uh, but clearly this is a remarkable and kind of rare situation these days for this Republican Party.
0: And 20 charges, we should note. Uh, Van Paxson was reelected by a wide margin of Texas voters just this past November. So some of those who are not in agreement with this impeachment, say that this is not going in, in what voters are saying. And this is this is actually speaking against voters and they don't have a say. What do you make of it?
3: Well, that's why uh, you have an impeachment process, because sometimes you elect somebody and then they start doing terrible things. Um, if he wasn't doing terrible things when uh, he was elected in November or if it wasn't uh, widely known, then uh, the voters would have to wait for a reelection to deal with you know possible Real malfeasance. Um, this is why we have uh, you know, all these checks and balances in our system to try and to try to make sure people can't sneak in there and start doing horrible stuff. I agree with Se. Uh, it is unusual to see any political party uh, uh, discipline its own when it doesn't have to. Uh, maybe they could have swept this under the rug. Rug. Uh, but I hope it starts to catch on because um, you know the lack of accountability. You know we have a lot of people running around in Washington D.C. right now that probably shouldn't be there. Um, and uh, this might be setting a good example.
0: And I see this now heads to the state Senate where his own wife sits. Should she recuse herself? Do you think she will?
8: Well, I don't know her. Uh, so I don't know what's going on in her mind. This must be a very awkward, weird position to be in, because let's not forget one of the things he's accused of is, um, you know, involving a mistress. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know where her headspace is. I would, I would hope she would recuse just um, for, uh, you know, optics sake. And so she, she doesn't have a conflict there, but I don't know. That will be a very interesting soap opera to watch.
0: Yeah, Soap opera, indeed. Uh, Let's move away from Texas and to Washington, D.C., where it looks like a soap opera may have come to an end. Hopefully uh, we'll believe it when we see it, Van. But let's talk about the debt ceiling. Several Republicans are not on board with this deal. And Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal actually told Jake yesterday that the president should be concerned about support among the progressive caucus. What are you hearing from Democrats? Like, would they actually stand in the way of this passing?
3: Well, I think there's a frustration that, you know, the Pentagon is, is held harmless and working poor people are going to you know, be forced to, to work more with the work requirements. And just a frustration that uh, why, uh, you know, food stamps and, and work requirements and that kind of stuff, even on the chopping block, given the fact that, you know, we all know the price of food for all of us has been going up and up. So there is some disquiet. There is con- some discontent. But the Democratic Party is not going to prevent uh, America from paying its, its bills. Uh, but, you know, there's, 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 there's a different standard here. You can't do anything. It's got to be non-defense. You know, the, the Pentagon, which got a lot more money than most poor folks, they're going to be held harmless. But we're going to put the, the, the acts of the uh, low income folks. I think that's, that's, that's the rub.
0: Essie, talk about this moment and the significance of it vis-a-vis the relationship between Joe Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy, uh, who both have two days now to get their parties in line to support this deal.
8: It's pretty remarkable. Um, Joe Biden did something he promised he wouldn't do, which was negotiate with Republicans over this debt ceiling. He did. I'm sure Kevin McCarthy is grateful for that. But Kevin McCarthy also did things he promised Republicans he wouldn't do. Um, You know, a lot of Republicans on the far right are very upset that they didn't get more spending cuts. Now, from my position, I wish they had been more (laughs) upset about spending during the Trump administration. Uh, no surprise, they've rediscovered the debt uh, and spending this this go around. But listen, the saying in Washington is, if there's something in it that makes everyone mad, it might actually be a good bill. And you've got folks, to, to, to Van's point, on the left that are very upset with Biden for giving some stuff away. And folks on the right who are very upset with McCarthy for not getting enough. This might actually just be a good deal.
0: Yeah, that's what compromise, I guess, is all about. And if this bill does pass, it would get us through to 2025 and uh, past the 2024 election. But on that note, Van, yesterday, Jake asked New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu about a possible run for him for president. Here's what he had to say.
5: The money's been lined up. The support's been lined up. There's a pathway to win. All that, all those boxes are checked. The family's on board, which is always a big one. Uh, I just got to make sure it's right for the party and right for me. When I start doing something, I'm 120% in. So uh, I think, you know, pretty soon we'll we'll make the decision, probably in the next week or two.
0: So pretty soon we'll find out if he's not 100, but 120% in, Van. If he does announce, as we know, he would join several other GOP contenders in this race right now. What do you think he specifically would bring to the race?
3: Well, I think he brings a kind of a sunshine optimism. Uh, I think he's a, a real contrast to the to DeSantis type and the Trump type. He's more like Tim Scott. You, know, you, you then have two sunshine, uh, optimistic, you know, can-do, positive uh, conservatives in the in the race. But that's also a problem because if you have a whole bunch of people like that, it just makes it harder for the front runner right now, uh, President Trump or ex-President Trump, to win.
0: Is sunshine what the party needs, Essie?
8: Yeah. and I, I mean, I would also add common sense. He, he's a common sense conservative. He's not afraid to call a spade a spade. He'll call out Trump or uh, other members of the, the far right fringe um, for doing stuff that are just bad for the party. And mm-hmm. I think the Republican Party's problem over the past many years is Ben, it, it forgot what winning looks like. It forgot that the goal of all of this is to win so you can implement policy. And I think Chris Sununu understands that is the goal. Well,
0: we'll see what he decides in the next week or two, as he said. S.C. Kupp and Van Jones, thank you. Great to see you.
8: Thanks. Thank you.
0: Well, coming up, when reality is stranger is stranger than fiction, a look at the true story of the young woman who was caught sharing highly classified material. In our pop culture lead, a high-profile FBI interrogation gets a Hollywood makeover. Jake sat down with the director of Reality, a brand-new docudrama premiering on HBO tonight.
5: Reality is stranger than fiction, reality being the name of a new film based on the FBI encounter and arrest of Reality Winner. You might remember Reality Winner. She's the former government contractor who pleaded guilty to leaking a classified NSA document, which provided details of a 2016 Russian cyber attack on a supplier of U.S. voting software. If this plot point sounds somewhat familiar, it's because the government is still plagued by leaks from inside actors. We recently watched as agents arrested 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guard employee Jack Sheriff for allegedly posting highly sensitive documents online. And, of course, their cases are quite different, but in the case of Reality Winner, the FBI transcripts really tell a story so engaging that it literally became dialogue, for this new film.
2: Can you guess how many people might have printed out that
5: article?
8: Okay. No.
1: It's not many. Okay. That article has made it outside of NSA. Okay? Obviously,
0: because we're here. And the most likely candidate, by far and
2: away, is you. So, now,
0: I, 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 I don't think... I don't think you're a, you know, a a big bad master spy or anything.
5: With us now, Tina Satter, the writer and director of Reality, which premieres on HBO, which is, of course, uh, owned by CNN's parent company, Warner uh, Discovery. Tina, uh, your your film brings viewers into this extended, unfiltered encounter between Reality Winner and these FBI agents. Why did you want to showcase her story in this fascinating way?
9: Well, when I stumbled upon that transcript, reading the transcript, I I could not believe sort of what a complete document it was. Like it really, you know, it had a beginning and an ending and was this really like capsule of this young woman going through this very specific moment in her life. But it really held, it had exposition about who she is in her own words. You watch her go head to head with these FBI agents. It has unexpected diversions in the conversation. It's very tense and fraught to watch her move through it, but then she also has these sparks of humor. It just was this incredibly rich event that it actually happened. And to me, it felt so um, challenging and exciting to think of using that transcript as the basis for a material about it.
5: So reality winner, her motivation was she thought the public needed to know. Tom Nichols recently wrote an, an article in The Atlantic about people who take this on themselves, to to leak government information. And he wrote, quote, the romanticized versions of these stories fail to account for the various shades of narcissistic behavior on display in all these cases. People who, as in the cases of Snowden and Winter, think of themselves as the ultimate arbiters of the social good are all menaces to national security, no matter what their reasons, unquote. Now, that's that's Tom's view. I'm not saying this uh, is my view. Um, But do you think that, Her actions made her a threat to national security, regardless of why she was doing.
9: I think it's been proven now officially that it didn't, that there wasn't actually anything in there. I mean, I think they have those laws in place in the chance that there is when that stuff is leaked. But I think it was proven that hers didn't. And I think in that quote you're reading, like, I don't believe that at all was true of reality when she took this action. I mean, I think she was a very idealistic person who literally already served the government. And she was like kind of acting in this almost rash way of like, I can see this information they're saying is not true. This place is asking people to send it. They may have proof of it. I'm going to send this proof. You know, it wasn't from like a high and mighty position that she was going to solve a problem. It was much more, again, the fascinating part of reality is sort of like almost an everyday kind of choice of like, well, I can see this because of the access I have. I'm going to send this information out.
5: One interesting thing about the cinematography in the film uh, is how it handles moments that are re- redacted uh, in the FBI transcript. Here's a sample.
8: It's, it's been a really bad month for me.
5: Do you remember what you did to get to that article? Uh, yeah.
8: They do. Other than seeing it on the on the front page or linking okay, it,
5: do you remember what search terms you might have put in?
2: Okay.
0: Probably. <laughs> I'm not very sophisticated. Clearly
5: also a secret. I mean, really interesting (laughs) decision. You could have gone with anything, but you have her disappear and then reappear. Um, And it also reminds us that you're working directly from the FBI... Transcript. Uh, tell us okay, about great. that decision. Well,
9: so much for, for talking to me about. This. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure. Obviously, you and many of us now have seen documents with those rejection marks on them. But it's really sort of amazing when you even come to it on the page, right? You're reading along, and suddenly there's this black bar. Like immediately, is like this implicit idea of control okay. and who can who can control what we can read or see or know, and it, and it feels very powerful and sort of scary to even see on a page. And that something has been disappeared. So it really felt trying to find a filmic way to echo those layers of like an unseen hand that can disappear the speaker, even when she's sort of talking about something that's you know trying to fight for her own autonomy, and that that is can just be done to her. And we wanted to just experiment with literally disappearing them on the film. Um, felt like a really great filmic uh, metaphor to go along with an actual redaction mark yeah. and had sort of that sort of surprising mode too.
5: Yeah, like the real life matrix. Uh, that's that's kind of how <laughs> I felt about it in, in, a, in a great way. Uh, the film's reality. It's on HBO. Uh, Tina Sanner, uh, thank you so much. Congratulations.
0: Thank you very much. Up next, they spent months as prisoners during the Vietnam War. Now these veterans are reuniting for the first time in decades. On this Memorial Day, we have a touching tribute to endurance and freedom. This year marks a half century since the signing of the Vietnam War Peace Agreement and the return of nearly 600 U.S. prisoners of war. Last week, some of those men got together to share memories and celebrate being alive. CNN's Nick Watt was there for it.
10: Major Mark Smith and Sergeant Ken Wallingford, then and now. I haven't seen this guy outside of one funeral we went to, a, one of our uh, buddies. 50 years. That's how long it's been since they were released from a jungle prison camp. <laughs> now, back together to celebrate that half century. Listen, I don't want to keep you from your dinner. It's, it's a good thing because I'm hungry. And, <laughs> yeah, I never, and then he really gets mad. <laughs> 1973. They and hundreds of other freed POWs dined with the president at the White House.
5: Never has the White House been more proud than it is tonight because
6: of the guests we have tonight.
10: Exactly 50 years later to the day, here at the Richard Nixon Library, the same food. Neptune salad, beef, strawberry shortcake. There just aren't as many men left alive to enjoy. it. We considered Richard Nixon... The guy really responsible for getting us home, and to this day, we love the man. Every man at this table was held at the same POW camp. There's Smith and Wallingford. In 1972, both were badly injured and captured after the brutal battle of Loch Nin. Big explosion went off. It felt like half my head had been blown away. I was an agnostic before I went to Vietnam. Battlefield conversions? You're looking at one.
2: I'm the guy who knew I'd never get captured, because that only happened to losers. (laughs) AK round hit me in the shin, knocked me down out of the way of an RPG that was aimed at my chest and went off behind me and knocked me out.
10: They were held in bamboo tiger cages. Explain to me what a tiger cage is. If you've ever been to the zoo, seen animals in cages, they just put these logs, five by six, five by five. Into a cage. Into a cage with a little door. You had to, you know, bend down to get in. Held in those cages because they would not do as they were told. We made no statements. We
2: wrote no letters. We made no broadcasts. Not one.
10: Fifty years on, these men are grateful. Every day is a great day. I don't care what the weather's like outside. And no regrets. Major retired Mark Zippo Smith. War. That's what I do. Now, Smith and Wallingford are clearly very different people and they've led very different lives since Vietnam. Smith lives in Thailand. His entire career has been involved with military matters. Wallingford lives in Texas, was in banking, was in real estate. Right now he's retired and traveling the world with his wife. Very different people. But it was amazing to see the bond between these two men forged in such an intense, intimate setting. Just seven men in that small jungle camp that they were held in. Their ease and intimacy around each other was kind of stunning to see. But today, you know, we've also got to think about the 58,220 American service personnel who did not make it back from Vietnam.
0: Back we, thank, we thank every single one of them for their service. What a special piece, Nick. It looked like you really enjoyed spending time with those two American heroes. Thank you so I much did. for bringing us their stories. Well, ahead on the Situation Room, one of the top Democrats in the House, Congressman James Clyburn, will join Wolf Blitzer. Then Little Mermaid makes a big splash at the box office. But is the movie's collection complete? That's next. In our pop culture lead from a sea princess to a box office queen,
6: you broke the rules to the above world.
0: A man was drowning. I had to save him.
6: This obsession with humans has to stop.
0: I just want to know more about them. Disney's live-action *The Little Mermaid* swims to the top of the U.S. box office, raking in 117.5 million dollars. That is the fifth best opening for a Memorial Day weekend ever. The remake of this 1989 animated film has been the subject, sadly, of some racist tropes because Disney cast Ariel with a black actress, Halle Bailey. Her performance is earning solid reviews from critics. I can't wait to take my little girl to see that movie myself. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this special edition of The Lead. Our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room.